following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. We've come to your house to have our hearts healed and restored, to be confronted, to be called to follow after Jesus. Lord, thank you. Lord, we praise and worship and honor you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The message today is washed with pure water. He was at the very pinnacle of success. He did not count his gold and silver in ounces. He counted his gold and silver in the hundreds of pounds. He lived in a beautiful home. He was recognized internationally as a figure of renown. He was granted respect on every hand. He was a giant of a man. 
His Naaman, his name was Naaman. Commander, general of the Syrian army. Some Jewish tradition says that he was the one who fired the arrow at Ahab and took his life. Naaman, I don't know when he first saw it, but perhaps it was on his arm. I saw a spot. Perhaps it was in his hair. He could cover it up. Often with preeminence also comes great shame. Naaman had leprosy. The dreaded disease that would separate him from his household and from his king. The disease that would cause him to become an outcast, unclean. And so he hid it. He covered it over. But it grew worse. God's province is so astonishing to me. On one of the journeys, one of the fierce war attacks on Israel, he captured a young woman, a child, a maiden, and he took her to his home. And this young maiden was so self-possessed, so godly, so well-trained that she was selected to serve as a personal assistant to the wife of Naaman. Imagine the sorrow of the parents at the loss of their precious daughter. It's so painful, it's beyond even contemplating But God in his province chose that young woman to be in a place and at a time when she could make a very simple statement that would bring this great general to the Lord God of heaven. I want to tell you today, there is no cost God is not willing to ask his people to make for the salvation of the lost. And you may be going through circumstances today that seem unimaginable. And if you avoid and find a way around what God is trying to do in your heart, you will miss the appointment he has for you that you know nothing of. It is God's intention to use every one of you as he used that maiden in some way to speak into someone's life or to take a course of action that will result in another soul finding the Lord Jesus Christ. You go about your daily business. Day by day, she cleaned up the table. Day by day, she swept the floors. Day by day, she submitted to her mistress as a slave without rebellion in her heart without bitterness in her spirit, and in the course of the very painful reality that she was separated from mommy and daddy, in the very painful reality that God had sent her as a missionary, without her even knowing it, to one of the most powerful men in the world, there to speak very quietly, hidden away a few words, that would change the course of this great general's life. She said to her mistress in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, Oh, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And that word cure, let's not get it mixed up with Western medicine. The word cure, the literal Hebrew word means to gather up, to gather up. She's saying he would gather up all of his disease and he would cast it out. Now, this is going to be very important as we move through this message. Because when God comes, he doesn't just treat a little sore here 
or a little sore there. No, he gathers it all up together and separates it out of our life. God is not interested in healing a sore toe. He's interested in healing the whole body. He's willing to come in and gather up all the brokenness of our life, all the sin, all the wickedness, all the despair. He's willing to gather the whole basket full together. You don't have to carry it anymore. He's willing to cast it out of you. That's what this little girl is saying. God wants to come and gather up everything that's caused you sin and despair and hardship. He wants to gather it all up and he wants to cast it out. On the word of this little girl. Now Naaman is used to listening to the other officers under him. He's used to listening to the king. This time he listens to a little girl who is the least important of all of God's children. Please hear me when I say this. The effectiveness that you have in the kingdom of God is not based on whether you're somebody. It's based on whether you have demonstrated integrity in your life of service. If you have demonstrated integrity in your life of service, you can speak a very simple word, and it will be taken as absolute reality. On the basis of this one little girl's word, a communication goes between the king of Israel and the king of the Syrians, who are the ruling people of the day. Just because the little girl walked with integrity and without bitterness, could you be a slave and have no anger against the man who enslaved you? Could you be a slave and serve with joy and be concerned about the welfare of your enslaver? That's what it takes as you read the stories coming out of China. You know where the most conversions take place? In the jail. Among the jailers who are overcome by the testimony of the Christian who is being beaten by them. His compassion and his love. After he's finished abusing and torturing, the man says, I forgive you. I love you. Jesus loves you. Can you imagine? Naaman goes to the king of Syria, tells him what the little maiden from Israel has said. And the king of of Syria says, by all means, go. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And suddenly things begin to happen. Simply because in the kitchen, one little girl says something. Please today, don't underestimate what God wants you to say. Don't underestimate the power of your coming up and giving a simple testimony that this week Jesus has carried me. It's time to drop all pride and pretense. It's time to forget about ourselves. It's time to lift up Jesus. It's time to get over being grumpy Christians. It's time to come alive in Jesus. Like this little maiden was alive in the kitchen with her mistress saying, Oh, if only... If only my master would go see the prophet in Israel. Everything that's happened would be gathered up and cast out. That's irresistible. There's a very uneasy truce between the king of Israel and the king of the Syrians. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he He leaped from his throne and he ripped his garments as a cultural sign of absolute despair and hopelessness. He knows he has no power to heal. 
He says, this king of Syria is just trying to stir up trouble between us. They've already beaten us in war, and now they want to stir up more trouble. And they're going to come against us again, and they're going to be raiding us again. What are we going to do? He's in panic mode. Why is he in panic mode? Because he does not trust the Lord God of heaven. He trusts in his army. And he's been defeated and shamed. He does not have confidence in God. All of us have very difficult things that happen to us. Precious people close to us get angry and cut us off. People die. We have business reverses. We have all kinds of things that happen to us. We get sick. We have all kinds of things. We lose our jobs. Things happen. People cheat on us. People say things about us. Your response will demonstrate whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the old saying was, when you get a basket of lemons, don't complain. Make lemonade. That's not just positive thinking. That's based on the reality. Do you know who Jesus is? So are you going to groan and moan? Or are you going to take what you have and entrust that to Jesus and watch what he can do in it and with it? Naaman is already on his way. He's taking with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, garments, expensive clothing, I don't know how many men he took with him. No doubt he took a company of men, probably close to 200. They were subject to thieves. They were subject to attack. I mean, this is a full deal. Horses, it's probably camels carrying the weight. And the king of Israel is moaning and groaning, Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Do you see it's all in how you look at it? Reality is not what you believe. Reality is according to the word of God. Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Nathan is sent to the house of Elisha. The whole troop stops in front of his house. Elisha doesn't darken the door. He just sends his messenger out. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Oh, and Naaman was angry. Naaman expected to have a great show put on. The man of God was going to come out and he was going to wave his hands and he was going to do his his whole show, his shtick. All the soldiers were going to be entertained. And he was going to put his hands on Naaman and Naaman was going to come out and be clean and it was going to be all honor and glory to Naaman. Elisha doesn't even darken the door. Go tell the man to go down to the Jordan and wash seven times. I can imagine that Elisha didn't even turn his head. He he swatted that away like a fly. He was representing the God who created the universe. There was no question in his mind about the power of God. Can you imagine? But I want to tell you there's another reason why Elisha did not come out. If Elisha had come out and waved his hand or touched him, the word would have gone throughout the country. Elisha is the great healer. And if you have leprosy or you're sick, show up at his door and he'll come out and he'll hold a service and he'll heal you. 
Elisha would not take to himself the right or the power to heal anyone. Only the Lord God of heaven could heal this man of leprosy. And Elisha wanted it to be known that he had done nothing. He had not even prayed over this man. No one was going to say that Elisha had power and authority. I love Elisha for this. What man or woman would not be tempted to take the stage and use the power of God to gain notoriety and success? To be somebody? Has your heart ever cried out, could I just be somebody? Could I just be somebody? And Elisha said, no. I'll stay in my study. This is God's show. Do you know how important it is for us to recognize? It's not our show. It's God's show. It's God's show. We stop God from accomplishing great and wondrous things because we still think it's our show. God's show. And Naaman is angry. He's insulted. I imagine he had the horses whipped up and they went racing off. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a great rage. Personal servants of Naaman, when he stops racing down the road, probably to water the horses in the Jordan, they came humbly to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, would you, would you not have done it, something great? I can see these men talking to each other, saying, which one of us is going to give Naaman the bad news? It could cost them their position, and it could cost them their life. Naaman was the man. They finally decide who's going to deliver the message. My father... If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. I don't know why they chose to translate it young boy. The Hebrew says a young girl, a young maiden. Like the young maiden who told them about this prophet. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Why would he refuse? Because if he accepted the gift, he would be acknowledging that he was the one who had brought the healing to Naaman. And he could not do that. God does not share his glory. No, I will not take it. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord. He wants this dirt to take to his land to make mud bricks so he can make an altar to the Lord God of heaven. He will from this day forward only worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. 
when my master enters the temple of Ryman to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ryman, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha just says, go in peace. God knows who you're worshiping. Go in peace. But after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and go get something from him. Now this servant is going to cash in on what God has done and pollute the miracle God has performed. He's going to compromise. So Gehazi, I hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give him a talent of silver and two sets of clothes. Oh, by all means, take two talents, said Naaman. Such sin, trying to cash in on what God has done to gain glory for himself, provision for himself. Just so you have some sense of the, of the money that's involved here, it's enough money to pay 600 men a daily labor charge for one year. This is a lot of money. He had, Naaman had his servant carry this ahead of Gehazi. But when he came to the hill inside of the house, he sent the servants back and he struggled with it. It was heavy. And then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? He could have said, why are you sweating? Where have you been? Oh, your servant didn't go anywhere. Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men servants and maid servants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And Gehazi went forth from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. Now, I do have to add one piece of good news. Gehazi repented and was healed of his leprosy. And we find him once more serving Elisha later in the stories of Elisha. That's grace. That's grace. Remember, God did the same thing for Miriam. He healed her of the leprosy. I want to tell you today, God specializes in healing leprosy. Now I want to go to the New Testament, and I want to show you the significance of what I've been sharing with you. John, the 19th chapter. I want to begin reading for you at verse 31. John, the 19th chapter, verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Do you understand why the legs had to be broken? The only way they could survive is by pushing with their legs against the brace to rise up just enough to catch a breath and then sink down again. But when their legs are broken, they can't push up and soon they suffocate. It's, it's literally killing them. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it gave 
has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Early church history tells us that the man who saw it and gave testimony was the man who pierced him, who became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and was later martyred, dying himself for Jesus Christ. Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they have pierced, the blood and the water. Now, please go with me to the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. And then go with me, please, to the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 22. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Begin with verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience that is sprinkled with the blood and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then finally, let's go to 1 John. And then I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit is saying. 1 John, the fifth chapter. Let's begin with verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is not a sentimental deal. This is the reality of day-by-day living, carrying out the commands of God. This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the verdict, or this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Remember, faith has to have always an object. It's our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just faith. Faith is empty. It must have an object. It must have a platform. And that platform is the promise of God. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And that word believe does not mean simply intellectual understanding. It is literally in the Greek, adhering to, being stuck with, being one with. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth for For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. And this testimony is about three three parts. There is the Holy Spirit. His job is to teach us about Jesus. We would have no understanding of who Jesus is if the Holy Spirit did not come and teach us. 
So the Holy Spirit comes and teaches us by water and blood. Now this is a theme throughout all of the scriptures. The modern church believes that by the blood of Jesus, they are declared righteous. That totally blocks out the need for the water. There must be water and blood. The blood comes, it says, in a number of places and cleans our conscience from all past deeds. The blood comes and washes us and makes us clean of the past. Forgiveness is brought into our heart. We repent of the past. It's over. The shame of the past is past. The blood comes and removes it from us. Those things that you have done, those things that you have said, those wicked things are all gathered up. They are gathered up. And they are cast out of your life. And if you continue to walk in self-condemnation for the past... You simply invalidate the work of the blood in your life. And those things we must stand by faith in Jesus, in the blood, and say, they're done. They've been gathered up out of my life. They've been gathered up out of my memory. It's over. A couple that I was very dear friends with had been in the military. He was a career officer. She had raised five boys while dad was away fighting the wars and being the man, being the bird colonel. And he would come home and he would try to be the commanding officer at home. And mom would get very angry. And say to him, you think you can be gone for the last how many months, year? And you can come home and you can step in and you're going to tell me what to do. I don't think so. You're going to be out of here next week. So just chill. Oh, they they got in some royal fights and then she would come to me. She was a member of my congregation and she would say, Pastor, I'm going to kill my husband. And we'd talk and we'd pray and she'd be okay. She'd forgive him. But then he retired. And as soon as I heard they were retiring, I called them and I said, I want to see you two in my office. I don't want the war of the roses in your house. They said, thank you, pastor. And they came. And oh, did we have a session. And he said to me, Pastor, aren't I the head of the house? I said, no, you're not the head of the house. Your wife has raised five boys. She's been the head of the house while you've been off in your glory. So it's time for you to humble your heart and earn your wife's love and and trust again. This process went on, I can't tell you, probably two years. They almost divorced because he was absolutely certain that he was the commanding officer and that she was going to submit to him because the Bible said so. Mm, Talk about anger and bitterness, rage. And I understood and I took her side for a time. And then we came to a time where I finally said to this precious couple, has Jesus forgiven you for your sins? Yes. Has he forgiven you for your fights? Yes. How about letting it all go then? How about acknowledging the deep resentment 
and anger that still is roiling your marriage when you know you love each other and you fought through and you know you're going to stay together. I want to tell you, it was harder for them to let go of the hurt feelings than it was for them to forgive one another for the past actions. I said to them, you both are heroes. You both served with honor and distinction our nation. You serve by protecting our land. You, ma'am, by raising five strong sons who are an honor to you and to Jesus. Isn't it time to finally let it all go? It's that residue we carry in our hearts that we have to allow Jesus to come and gather up. And he doesn't do that by the blood. The blood forgives. The blood changes. But it's the water that comes and washes away all of the present hurt, anger and resentment and sorrow and shame. It's the water. When Jesus died on Calvary, there was water and blood flowing from his side. He has given everything that he could gather up everything in our lives that has caused us brokenness and pain so that we can walk clean in joy with him. What a gospel that we no longer need to carry that hostility in our heart and that resentment in our heart, the fear and the hurt. We don't need to carry that anymore. That's all included under the blood of forgiveness and the water of cleansing. Both are there for us. And Catherine in the welcome was so right on as she talked about coming into agreement with God. That's where this thing really settles. It's not about being the great general. Because all of us, every one of you are great in some way. All of you have established some greatness in your life. But leprosy is real. And all of us have been inflicted with leprosy. And we have to make a decision. Do we want God to come and collect together all of this brokenness? He's willing to. He wants to. How long do you need to hang on to the pain and anger? How much flesh do you need to collect from your wife or your husband or your family or someone who did something wrong to you? Where can you finally come to the place where Jesus was when he was crucified? And he said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When can we release those we're so angry with? When can we simply forgive them and let God collect together all that broken glass in our hearts that cuts and mars our vestige? To let God have all of that. And then simply lift our hands to Jesus and say, Lord, your will be done. Some of us today have great sorrows in our hearts. Loss of the past, despair of the future. At some point, we have to finally make the decision. I just want Jesus. He's enough. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'll do it with excellence. I'll do it with humility. I'll be like that little maid in the kitchen. I will serve as God calls me to serve. He calls some of us to serve in business. He calls some of us to serve in a household. 
He calls some of us to serve at the pulpit. One is not higher than the other. All of us have brokenness that needs to be all gathered up, washed away. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if he knows that he and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we have asked of him Lord Jesus what a burden of sorrow we have carried in our hearts and our lives because we have not been willing to simply forgive and rest in you Lord Jesus, I pray today for both the blood and the water. I pray today that all that is broken in our hearts will be gathered together and washed and cleansed and healed in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. can be against us. No enemy can stand against the power of His Word. If God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through our risen Lord. I spent many days walking through the valley, wondering if everything was going to turn out right. My eyes were blinded by my own delusion. But praise the Lord, down on my knees one day I saw the light. Hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? No enemy can stand against the power of His Word. If God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through our risen Lord. Oh, Satan tries to keep us all defeated. Right on acting like he doesn't really know But in the word of God I found the answer When Christ arose, oh Satan then became a defeated foe Yeah, if God be for us, who can be against us? No enemy can stand against the power of his word If God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through our risen Lord. Oh, God be for us, who can be against us? No enemy can stand against the power of His Word. If God be for us, who can be against us?